This week's Pharmacy Magazine Talking Pharmacy podcast is brought to you by Aronix, Sildenafil 50mg from Dr. Reddy's. Hello everyone, welcome to the latest episode of the Talking Pharmacy podcast, where we look back at what's been happening in pharmacy and health over the last week or so. Uh, it's been lively. My name is Richard Thomas, editor of Pharmacy Magazine. Joining me on the pod this week are Rob Darricott, editor of P3 Pharmacy, Arthur Walsh, editor of Pharmacy Network News, Neil Trainis, editor of Independent Community Pharmacist, and Helena Beer, editor of Training Matters. We've got a full house, so let's start straight away with Good Week, Bad Week. So once again, we're each going to pick either a good week or a bad week. And Arthur, newly COVID jabbed up, let's start with you. Good week or bad week, and for whom? Hi, Richard. Yes, well, I suppose I've had a good week, uh, given that I had my first dose of Pfizer yesterday. So sore arm notwithstanding, all is looking good in the world. Uh, in terms of pharmacy... I'm not sure whether this is, you know, good week, bad week. I would say interesting week. Um, uh, uh, two things to talk about in terms of just, you know, the, the work pharmacists do every day. Uh, first thing is we submitted a freedom of information request to NHS BSA about um, the serious sh- shortage protocols that were introduced towards the end of 2019 um, as a sort of um, uh, tool to help to help cope with possible medicine shortages in, in, in the lead up to Brexit. Um, so we asked sort of how many um, items have been substituted against the SSPs and how much money has been paid out. And it turns out that around 40,000 items, prescription items, have were, um, were substituted in the first 18 months. So that's October 2019 to March 2021. And a total of around 200,000, 210,000 has been paid out to contractors in SSP fees to get a uh, £5.35 fee per per SSP substitution. Um, uh, And it's interesting to see uh, trends. Definitely fluoxetine is the big, um, it's by far the dominant uh, drug that is involved in SSP substitutions. It accounts for the very sort of strengths and and formulations of it account for 60%. Of all uh, of all drugs uh, used using the SSPs, and um, and you also see that it's it's picking up quite to it's the the pace of it is 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 gathering quite a bit. So in the whole of twenty twenty, for example, there were twenty two thousand uh, the uh, drugs uh, dispensed against an SSP, and already in the first three months of twenty twenty one, you see that um, there's sixteen thousand. So you know. Uh, so over, over two thirds of, of of the amount that 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 we, that we saw in twenty twenty, um, and it, I I just thought it was interesting. Uh, I don't think it really tells a story in terms of you know you know we talk about the CPCS and how disappointing the uptake of that has been. Um, I mean, there's I think with something like that, there's a story to tell about you know about about the service and whether it's effective and whether GPs are on board. Something like this, it's 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 a quite a specific the SSPs is quite a specific tool that's used in specific circumstances but um it does sort of paint an interesting picture about about medicine shortages and um and the work that pharmacists are, are expected to do to to cope with them the other thing I want to go touch on this briefly because I know Helen wants to talk about it as well is um PSNC's advice audit which has found that um, the average community pharmacy in England 
conduct 17 informal unpaid patient consultations each day, you know, saves a lot of, um, of GP consultations and, and A&E, appointment, uh, A&E, A&E visits um, and saves a, lot, saves a lot of, you know, money as well for the NHS. And um, I know PSNC is going to use the, these findings to, to sort of drive home the value of pharmacy in its negotiations with government. And um, and also to to um, try and identify parts of of services such as the CPCS, which can be tweaked to to sort of you know make things work better for pharmacies and patients. Uh, I ha- hand over to to Helena because I know she has um, has a lot to say on this. Yeah, thanks, Arthur. Um, so yeah, I, following on from from what Arthur was saying about the PSNC advice audit, I agree that it's kind of an interesting week, a, a story of two halves for kind of both good week and bad week, really. Um, so when you hear the findings, as Arthur alluded to, that um, the average community pharmacy in England is giving 17 unpaid consultations per day, that's 1.1 million per week and, and 58 million per year um, across England, um, it could be construed as a negative because there's no remuneration for these. Um, we talked on the pod in March about the numbers of GP surgeries bypassing um, the CPCS service and this is another example of where informal consultations are happening regularly um, but with no payment um, but I think there's also a really positive angle which was picked up on um, by Mark Donovan chief pharmacist at Boots um, he said that the audit provides some of the strongest evidence yet of the value of community pharmacies and I really have to agree and um, the benefit of these consultations in accessible locations and without an appointment um, for patients, communities and the wider healthcare system is arguably unparalleled. Um, the findings also revealed that these informal consultations are thought to prevent 74%, uh, sorry, 74 GP appointments for every surgery in England each week, which really highlights that latter point of the impact of the wide, on the wider healthcare system, um, particularly pertinent given the situation it's found itself in during the pandemic. Um, PSNC also discussed the fact that all of this is taking place against a backdrop of work-related stress and intense pressure in the workplace. Um, And for me, it therefore shows the kind of selfless, compassionate and unfailingly caring nature of community pharmacy teams. Um, Support needs to be in place to help navigate the stress and pressure, obviously, Um, but the positive work that they've done um, does need to be recognised and rewarded. Um, Speaking of which, a nice little segue, Um, we've had a record-breaking year in terms of entries and nominations for TM's ROE awards, and from the entries I've read so far, there are absolutely phenomenal stories coming through. Um, Some have actually brought tears to the eyes of the ROE team, so some some really amazing stories. Um, Every year they're inspirational, but this year, with the impact of the pandemic, the standard is just colossal, Um, and I think where pharmacy staff and and teams in general are less reluctant to blow their own trumpets um they're kind of this year that isn't the case they're proud of their achievements and so they should be um so while i'm on the subject of the awards just a final reminder that entries and nominations close on tuesday the first of june um so if any listeners have members of their pharmacy support team who they think deserve recognition for their achievements um go to the training matters website over the bank holiday weekend um to share their story with us yeah thanks helena thank you arthur um yes some the the entries I've seen for recognition of excellence this year have been absolutely tremendous. So, yeah, still time to, to get them in. But the, the standard is is phenomenally high um, amongst our pharmacy support teams. Um, 
Rob, you've done some some work um, in the mug about the the community pharmacy consultation scheme and GP acceptance and things like that, picking up from that PSNC audit. Um, what, what what have you made of it all? Well, just a couple of things, Richard. Uh, it's been quite a hectic week for us. We've been putting our June issue to bed, but there's a couple of things coming up in that which I think play into the stories we've just been uh, hearing about from Arthur and Helena. So uh, first off, we've got um, uh, PCN Clinical Director Fazana Hassan has, has written uh, 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 an opinion piece for us. And uh, she's talking about the CPCS. And she is, a, she is a complete fan of the new service. Um, but she's got some really interesting thoughts about, about implementation and about how to start. Um, so it's quite a nice story about how she was literally introduced to it three or four weeks ago. Uh, how long has it been going, the GP, CPCS? So three or four weeks ago, um, she finally uh, clocked onto it after a conversation with her local community pharmacist. I think we've talked about her in the past. Um, she's now... Uh, referring got referrals five or six consultations a day going out to community pharmacy uh, which for the way she runs her clinics that's up to a third of a surgery she says Um, she's a great fan her thoughts though are that this is a service that needs to be implemented very much at the practice level Um, so and that chimes with a, a piece another piece we've got where we're reflecting on the experiences of seven community pharmacists and quite a few of them talk about the absence of CPCS referrals. Uh, it's got a great comment here talking about some of the things that she's been dealing with over the last um, the last few months. Um, this is Vicky Ferno from York. Uh, she talks about a patient, someone in hypertensive crisis with a history feeling dizzy, nauseous, was actually referred to us by the, by, by the GP team. And then she says, we sent them to hospital in an ambulance. And that was not a CPCS referral either. Um, And then uh, things are so hectic in GP land at the moment. And I think uh, I think we've all might might have all heard that since the um, the lockdown started to get winding down. Suddenly there's a there's a almost a tsunami of patients wanting to uh, wanting to catch up with their GPs. Um, The PC PCN is keen on CPCS. But it's under so much pressure, it is outsourcing appointments to an online doctor service. Now, how crazy is that? Um, We could deal with a great many of those appointments now. You know, something isn't quite right, is it? That we've got a service that community pharmacy can deliver, absolutely can deliver. And there are barriers to implementation because um, implementation takes time and implementation takes conversations between the right people. In the right places but if you get it right then you can end up with gps being real fans and really seeing it for the for the valuable service that it is for for their patients yeah that's that's fascinating some there are some learnings aren't there i mean it's had it, it's had such a disappointing start really hasn't it with the gp referrals and i'm sure it will pick up but those barriers you mentioned rob um you know those 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 communication links haven't happened and it's not being joined up at the moment so um but I should look look out for those pieces uh, because it, there is no doubt it could be an absolutely vital service for community pharmacy that will, will benefit GPs. But GPs don't know about it, then then it's not going to happen. 
Um, so more more work needed. That that was that was a really interesting discussion. Also, Arthur, that was fascinating about the SSPs. I found that that really interesting. But the trend, isn't it, that the, that the stock shortage is already bad? You know, if anything, are, are getting worse going by by that data. So um, that's that's concerning as well. Okay, let's move on. Um, I'll go next. I'm going to go for a good week. Uh, I think maybe possibly, uh, for pharmacy technicians. Um, because the RPS is is considering including them um, as part of associate membership. And this is in its new five-year strategy. I thought this would have generated a, a bit more reaction, actually. But look, I might be reading between the lines here because uh, what the RPS actually says in its strategy is we are looking to offer additional support to all people involved in the development and use of medicines and registered pharmacy technicians are part of that. We also know that our pharmacist members value their teams, and only by working as part of a skilled and uh, as part of a skilled and supported team will our profession be able to deliver what society small s needs of it in the future. So, um, doesn't mention pharmacy technicians uh, by name in terms of expanding associate membership, but I I think we all get the the drift. Now, interestingly, the last time this came up, which I think was about five or six years ago, uh, the uh, the RPS said it had no plans to offer pharmacy technicians associate membership. Uh, but then it also said when it moved to East Smithfield, it didn't want to be a commercial landlord. And now it's talking about renting out office space. So uh, things change, I guess. Um, now, there is an argument. Um, some might say a very powerful argument that bringing pharmacy technicians into associate membership of the RPS or or even full membership, uh, would be an important way to develop a skilled multidisciplinary workforce. But of course, it would change fundamentally the very nature of the RPS, which is the professional organisation for pharmacists, not pharmacy. That's its raison d'etre. And and if it did change its raison d'etre, then then some pharmacists would would simply walk away. And there's also the question of what what this might mean for, for APT UK. Nevertheless, uh, the outgoing president, Sandra Gidley, has said that the society has ducked this issue for, for far too long and uh, perhaps been cynical. Um, the RPS needs the money. But let's see where this one goes. Really interesting debate, I think. So I'm going a qualified good week for pharmacy technicians. Helena, you're very keen to come into this debate. What, what did you make of all, all of this? Yeah, thanks, Richard. Um, I think you're right. It's important to say that the strategy doesn't mention pharmacy technicians by name, whether that's intentionally ambiguous, clever or just a bit wishy-washy. I don't know. But yes, reading between the lines, um, pharmacy technicians being associate members could be what they're alluding to. But I think it just raises lots of questions like what would the material benefits be to the pharmacy technicians themselves? You say about the kind of... Um, the skill of the workforce and kind of um, building on that. But I think there are other ways to in, ensure that there is a very highly skilled workforce. Um, and my main issue is that they they have their own professional leadership body. Um, surely pharmacy technicians should be part of, of that organisation. Um, if associate membership of the RPS does materialise, what does this mean for APT UK? Um, having said that, 
as of the beginning of May, I think it was, um, APT UK membership is at its highest ever. Um, new branches are being established all the time in order to support pharmacy technicians across the company, country, which is really positive. Um, so maybe there's a place for, for both, for APT UK and for associate membership. Um, I think more information is needed, um, so I guess we'll see. But there's um, certainly scope for lots of debate, debate, and I'm sure there'll be some very strong opinions on both sides. Yes, uh, I'm sure there will be very strong uh, opinions on on both sides. Neil, you interviewed the APT UK recently, didn't you? What what do you um, think of this? I did, I did, I did interview Liz Fiddler a couple of years ago now. I think a very very good interview. Um, I, I just two things caught my my on this really. One is what's associate membership? I mean, as opposed to the full membership, what is that? What's the difference? I don't quite understand what the difference is there. Um, and the other point is, have the RPS canvassed their members on this? I mean, have they have they sought views from the wider membership on this on this potential move? That's just two points I that caught my eye. I don't know what you guys think. But... Uh, yeah, good point. I don't know what whether the not that I'm aware that uh, the society has canvassed views on this. And certainly, it's kind of tucked away from doing it in the past, as, as Sandra Gidley has said. Um, Rob, have you seen anything to to suggest that this is a likely way forward for the society? Uh, I think they might have done it a lot sooner, to be honest. Um, I think, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Neil asks a good question, what's associate membership? I suspect it's give us your money, but you can't have any votes. <laughs> that's, yeah, it's, that's, it's, that's it's definitely very, more money. <laughs> uh, that's a very, um, you know, but increasingly, you know, the, the pharmacy team is seen as, as, the, as a unit should have a discussion about who, who does what and how it's done and how things are done for improving services to patients and um you know there are times when uh it, it helps to have different perspectives involved in the conversation around the room i think that's that's actually really quite important um so yeah i think there were organizations around the time of the split that argued that um that pharmacy technicians and others uh, might be associated in some way with the with the rps in its in its um uh, leadership role uh, and so it's probably a little bit um, overdue that yes uh, it, it we're kind of maybe the society's been a bit a bit clever here and we're, we're kind of repeating or rehearsing the arguments for that we had a few years ago for the uh royal college of pharmacy uh debate which went a bit quiet didn't it i think uh, but you know that you make very good point rob um it would be a progressive way of looking at things certainly but Helen is right. It would be, uh, it would be controversial too. But let's just see where where that one goes. It's going to be fascinating to keep tabs on it. So uh, let's go to Neil. Uh, Neil, good week or bad week, uh, and who's it for? Well, I've I've gone for a sad week rather than a good or bad week, Richard. Uh, I've gone for Helen Patel, who has stepped down after twenty six. It's twenty six years, isn't it, as uh, secretary of North East London LPC? Uh, I'm sure. Most of our re- listeners, if not all of our listeners, uh, know who Hemant is. Uh, he's been around for a long time, four-time president of the RPSGB. He's had numerous posts within pharmacy. Now, Hemant is um, one of those characters that is very cutting, brutally frank. He's criticised pharmacy, community pharmacy. Uh, I remember one interview I read a few years ago. He said that pharmacy lacks ambition, community pharmacy, that is. Um, and he's been particularly critical of independence in the past as well. Um, I remember... A very early interview I did with him, 2010, 2011, I think it was, a good decade ago. Um, 
out in his out in Essex. So I went up there just to, to see him, and uh, he said independents need to be mobilised. He didn't hold back at all. He said, they, you know, they if they don't get a push in the right direction, they just won't do anything. Um, and you know, and I I got a strong sense just weeks after that interview that I did with him that he saw it as his own personal duty to to mobilise independents in his own in his particular LPC area. Um, we all remember his vision for community pharmacy in the 21st century, indispensable, um, which was a, a very interesting read. He, he's just a very passionate guy about pharmacy, um, and he always will be, even though he's retired. He, he just talked a lot of sense, I think. And, I, and you know, I, 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 one, one of the things I recall him saying um, about pharmacy having that narrow focus compared to general practice that stayed with me. And this, and this is what he said. He said, I think our policy scan is very narrow. This was 2019. I think our policy scan is very narrow if it exists. I would like a broader policy scan, which takes a whole range of stuff into account. Do we have a view about automation? Do we have a view about artificial intelligence? Do we have a, a view about genomics? Uh, do we have a view about diet? What is good diet? Uh, we are very narrow in our focus compared to general practice. And that is why people take GPs more seriously than they take us. The Royal College of General Practitioners certainly does have a, a broader view about a whole range of stuff. And that, and that, that kind of stayed with me. That was two years ago. And I think it's absolutely right. Uh, I know we're develop pharmacies developing and uh, still 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 developing um, and, and broadening its, its its horizons. But he's just a very forward thinking uh, uh, pharmacist. Now, he's, as I said, he's not everyone's cup of tea. He hits close to the bone. Um, I think, but I think personally, I think he's exactly what pharmacy needs. And uh, you know, giving the profession some home truths, it, there's nothing wrong with that. So uh, from that perspective, he will be missed, um, and he's the big shoes to fill. Yes, yeah, so all change at, at North East London. And, of course, we, we all wish Hemant well in his retirement. So, Rob, uh, last but not least, let's come to you. Good week, bad week, and for whom? Uh, yeah, well, nobody else has gone there, have they? So I, I guess it's down to me. Um, I was a bit busy on, was it Wednesday? I mean, there's a week's a long time in politics, isn't it, when that extraordinary seven-hour session took place in front of the Health Committee. Um about the lessons of, of the pandemic and the government's handling of it and the, the testimony, that's what it was, of, of one Dominic Cummings. I, I mean, there's been plenty in the press about this, but uh, um, so there's no, there's no point sort of dwelling on the whole thing. But I mean, it's, it, it's a bad week ultimately for the sort of state of politics in this country, I guess. Um, that, you know, the, the, some of the detail in there uh, I mean, it's hard to know who to believe, frankly. I mean, Ian Dunst summed it up in the in a piece for iNews, which basically was titled Story of Liars Told by Liars. So, you know, who is actually telling the truth? Uh, who do we believe? Um, I suppose the one thing that might impact uh, impact uh, the sector is is some of the is, is what happens with the health secretary, who, according to Mr Cummings, should have resigned or should have been sacked rather 15 to 20 times for telling porkies to the cabinet amongst uh, amongst others. And I suppose the most damning comment, that I think we really need to find out whether this is the, true or not, is that the cabinet secretary, um, according to Mr Cummings, lost faith in the health secretary's honesty, which is a pretty damning statement about um, a senior politician um, who, you know, has a, has a, a key role to play in the fate of the community pharmacy sector. Um, so uh, interesting, you know, let, let's leave it there. But a couple of things that that I think um, 
uh, are more interesting to look at. And I, I started off with saying the state of politics in this country. Um, one or two things have popped out the woodwork as a result of this, um, including, in particular, a piece um, recorded by Rory Stewart on the 12th of March last year. Now, Rory Stewart was the, the guy who was a Secretary of State, I think, for international development back in the day. Um, he was um, an MP, very anti, uh, anti-Brexit, or anti-no-deal Brexit. Um, but he said in... Um, th- there's a piece on you can find on Twitter, I think it's on YouTube, of him giving a, an interview on March the 12th last year um, about what he would do in the situation of, um, of, of the pandemic at that point. Now, March the 12th, that was, what, 11 days before the first lockdown. Uh, look it up. It's absolutely fascinating. It's the completely opposite approach. Now, it, it's a sad, sad fact that um, not only was Rory Stewart effectively hounded out of the Conservative Party, stood down as an MP, uh, he had a. He was thinking about um, standing for the London mayoral race as an independent um, before COVID postponed that election, and therefore he he stood down. Um, but he's now a fellow at Yale University teaching politics and international relations. I'm not sure whether examples of the current political discourse in this country will be making it into Mr. Stewart's um, Yale program, other than as a as an example of how things perhaps oughtn't to be. Uh, but a sad state of affairs, really, for all of us. And, you know, you know, roll on the full inquiry. I mean, there's so many questions raised by that. I mean, who, who's to know who's actually telling the truth? Um, but I think at some point the public might want some answers. Yeah, and it was explosive stuff, wasn't it? Um, those revelations, I think, lifted the lid on the panic and paralysis that gripped the government. I mean, that's what struck me. It wasn't just a failure of leadership, although it certainly was that too. But the complete collapse of the apparatus of government, of which, you know, incidentally, Cummings was, was a central part. So, yeah, like you say, Rob, a uh, lot in there for um, an independent judge-led public inquiry uh, to, to get their teeth stuck into, and, and probably that needs to be sooner rather than later. OK, so we just have time for a quick any other business. Uh, Rob, you've got something for us. Yeah, I think seven or eight months ago, Richard, on this uh, podcast in any other business slot, I think I mentioned the first part of the College of Optometrists Focus on Life campaign. And they've now, yes, come, out with sec- they've now come out with the second part of the campaign, ah. which is they have taken the classic 1865 novel by Lewis Carroll, Alice in Wonderland, and they have published it online in a blurred version um, to raise awareness of the importance of good vision for children. I mean, it's a completely unreadable. Um, but the idea is to demonstrate how the much-loved book could look with deteriorating eyesight. I mean, again, I think it's a really novel way, novel, haha, novel way to, to make a point. And, um, you know, you can find it on the College of Optometrists uh, website, college-optometrist.org. And I think that, to me, is a very, very neat, clever, creative idea of how to get across um, what is really a serious uh, public health issue. Really clever. I'll I'll check that out. Check that out, Rob. That's excellent. Um, thank you for that. Yeah, good work. Good work. Um, Helena, what have you got? 
Um, so mine has nothing to do with health whatsoever, um, and it's no terrifying croissant in a tree like um, I had a few weeks ago. Um, but following on from my food theme, um, I loved the story that a drug dealer was tracked down because he posted a picture of some cheese online and the police were able to analyse the fingerprints in the picture um, and arrest him. And so I doubt he thought that um, a nice mature blue Stilton from M&S would result in him being jailed for 13 and a half years. But that's exactly what happened. <laughs> he must have been very cheesed off. Uh, oh, very good. <laughs> he should have proceeded much more carefully. Okay. Move um, on, move on. We, but uh, we, Richard, you're booked for that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, okay, yeah, we'd better come to a close there because things don't get any cheddar than this. Uh, we, we, we'd better let it breathe. Uh, my thanks to Neil. Oh, I'm getting daggers here. My thanks to, to Neil, to Arthur, to Helena, and to Rob, um, and also our podcast sponsor, Arnix from Dr. Reddy's. All the Talking Pharmacy podcasts are available to download. <laughs> I must stop giggling. From the Pharmacy Magazine website, pharmacymagazine.co.uk, uh, or your usual podcast provider. Please rate us, review us, tell us what's on your mind, uh, and get involved. But for now, from all of us, thanks very much for listening. Thank you.